I would like to inspire you that you can make 2021 your best year ever. Guys, I'd like to wish you a happy new year for 2021. You are listening to Bella Networking Podcast Show, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and any of your favorite podcast providers. If you'd like to get in touch with me, the host, do drop me an email at podcast at turncoffeeintoclients.com. I'm Bella Networking podcaster, speaker and guru. And guys, I am giving you a New Year's Day gift, which is an exclusive podcast before the official launch of season two. So guys, grab yourself a coffee, tea, herbal tea, any hot drink of your choice, get comfortable as I will be giving you a rundown of the events that took place in 2020. So guys, enjoy. Bella Networking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rare World Removals Co.uk for all your New Year removal needs, whether you're moving home, a single room, the professional drivers with 13 years experience will be able to help you with any of your moving home needs with a competitive hourly weight. I would like to inspire you that you can make 2021 your best year ever. Because one of the advantages you have It might sound like a negative, but it is a huge positive. We had no idea a pandemic was on its way for 2020. So we could not prepare. We could not prepare in our career profession. We couldn't prepare within our job title. We could not prepare as an entrepreneur, SME or whatever industry you are in that may have been affected by COVID-19. So the positive is for 2021, you have got an opportunity to compare and decide to yourself, this really didn't work well last year. This was a huge challenge. How can I make 2021 better? How can I start to work towards achieving my dreams and goals that may have been put to one side for 2020? I'd like to reassure you, you are not alone. We are all in this together. And we all can come together and believe our dreams are still possible and achievable for 2021. I urge you to keep going even at the toughest of times because whatever you're working on, whatever dream and goal, it can happen and it will happen in time. Before my granddad passed away, he would always say to me, Bella, everything happens in its own time. So let's kickstart 2021 on a positive note and I have something wonderful for your ears and your mind. Something wonderful for your ears and your mind.
Mixing business with pleasure. Well, 2020 has been a year. And I'm sure right now we are so happy to say goodbye to 2020. But equally, I think it's really important that we have a flashback and remind ourselves of the events that took place in 2020. To kickstart season two, I wanted to give a recap of 2020 COVID-19 events with the focus of UK, as I am based in UK and I so much appreciate all of my followers around the world. And thank you again for helping me reach 500 plus downloads on my podcast channel for last year, 2020. In the UK, we brought in January 2020 with a motivational New Year's message from Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, reminding us of a great 2020 we have installed for us from the 2020 Olympics to Euro 2020 and so much more. 2020 is upon us. We have so much to look forward to. The Summer Olympics in Tokyo, Euro 2020, the final at Wembley. Together, folks, let's make 2020 the start of something special. Well, not long too after, in the same month, January, the first month of the year, seven countries reported a positive COVID-19, which also included the USA. January 24th, seven countries report COVID-19 infections, including the United States. There are 846 cases worldwide and 25 deaths. I remember this time and the World Health Organization carried out a press conference to communicate a very important message. Make no mistake, this is though an emergency in China. But it has not yet become a global health emergency. It may yet become one. Chinese officials put Wuhan under lockdown. That's the view from from the apartment. Completely deserted down there. Leaving British nationals living there uncertain about what would happen to them. My family's so worried. My mum, you know, she's texting me every five minutes. It didn't take long for two positive COVID cases to surface into the UK for the first UK records. It has been confirmed that there are two cases now in England. Two members of the same family were the first to have tested positive for the disease in the UK. Not long after, a Diamond Princess cruise ship carrying 37 100 passengers reported that a UK COVID patient had died. Receiving reports from Japanese media that a British passenger who was aboard the Diamond Princess uh, cruise ship has now died. At this point, the UK became increasingly aware of the dangers of COVID-19 and the deadly effects. Not only that, there were whispers that the Prime Minister was due to announce a lockdown. Literally overnight, people rushed to the supermarkets for panic buying. 
shelves became empty and the little essentials that we take for granted, such as toilet tissue, tin cupboard, everyday essentials, even dried products such as pasta, was so difficult to find. It broke my heart when the viral video of a critical nurse reached the news at 10, where she pleaded with UK people to be less selfish and think about the NHS workers. I'm a critical care nurse. I've just finished 48 hours of work. There's no fruit, there's no vegetables. You just need to stop it. Because people like me, they're going to be looking after you when you're at your lowest. Just stop it. There were so many whispers in the UK air that a lockdown was prominent. A lockdown was on its way. Then on the 23rd of March 2020, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson took to the stage to announce a formal lockdown in the UK. Now is the time for everyone to stop non-essential contact with others. Stop all unnecessary travel. Start working from home where they possibly can. After schools shut their gates from Friday afternoon, they will remain closed for most pupils, for the vast majority of pupils, until further notice. We are collectively telling, telling cafes, pubs, bars and restaurants to close tonight and not to open tomorrow. It was so obvious and clear what was coming up next. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So from that day, the 23rd of March, 2020, the British people were in lockdown. A lockdown we had never experienced. A lockdown we could never imagine. A lockdown that we could never have prepared for. And the constant reminders on the news was the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson's message. A very simple instruction. You must stay at home. I think in the beginning, the UK public really didn't understand the concept of a lockdown. You must stay at home. Non-essential shops will be closed. I need to repeat, non-essential shops will be closed. As the days rolled on and the weeks rolled on and the UK public really understood which stores were allowed to be open and which stores were allowed to be closed. It gradually became apparent there were so many luxuries we took for granted living in the UK that were always available to us. And overnight, at midnight on the 23rd of March, many of these stores were closed. For example, the luxury of just having your nails done, a pedicure or massage, the luxuries of going to the gym, and the biggest luxuries that many people felt in the UK 
was simply having a haircut. As the realisation of what lockdown really meant, we all felt the effects of lockdown because it was a brand new experience that we had to adjust to. Later on in the podcast, you will hear the effects of the lockdown that contributed to high unemployment, industry collapsing, and most of all, the awful effect that lockdown had on our mental health. Due to the new feelings of isolation and rules adapting to our freedom and liberty taken away from us, because of this virtual disease called COVID-19. At this part of the 2020 timeline, the World Health Organization announced that COVID-19 was a global pandemic and the recommendations was to test, test and test. But in the UK, the government had their own opposite opinions with regards to testing. Matt Hancock, UK Secretary of State and Health and Social Care, clearly stated, Testing of people who do not have symptoms is not reliable and so uh, we won't be doing it. Questions about the UK's testing strategy would dog Matt Hancock for the rest of the year. The government stressed that their actions would be dictated by the science. And the science was telling them, initially at least, that mass testing wasn't effective. This was counter to WHO advice. We have a simple message for all countries. Test, test, test. Testing of people who do not have symptoms is not reliable. And so uh, we won't be doing it. The science indicated that COVID-19 was incurable and the only hope was a vaccine, which you'll hear later on in the podcast. Chinese scientists published the genetic code of the virus online in early January. This helped the UK to become one of the first countries to develop a test to identify COVID-19 and it also meant work on a vaccine could start straight away. However, before the historic events of the UK first COVID vaccine, the number of COVID positive cases increased in the UK as well as deaths also increased and the result was a huge demand on the NHS and the need for more PPE. The measures were being put in place to lower the rate of infection and protect the National Health Service from being overwhelmed. But there were issues. Hospitals and care homes were running out of personal protective equipment, or PPE. Government supplied face masks were out of date, but apparently fine to use. And equipment recommended by the World Health Organization was different than what was being given to NHS staff. This is something that is causing a lot of frustration among doctors, nurses, 
healthcare professionals in general. We don't feel we are getting the correct equipment. As you know, we're being responded in for a potential coronavirus patient. It would be the frontline workers in the health service that would be most at risk during the pandemic and they would need protection. We have uh, turned around an incredibly difficult situation when demand for PPE shot up. We now have good PPE supplies to all sectors. At this point within the UK, the topic of PPE, personal protective equipment, was a high debate. As the UK public began to understand the safety precautions for prevention of, of COVID-19, and as confirmed by the World Health Organization, the recommended way to prevent COVID-19 was social distancing, frequently washing your hands, and number one, wear a mask. However, within the UK, with the presence of face masks being out of stock, simply trying to buy a face mask was equivalent to almost trying to buy gold dust. And this had a huge impact on the employees of the NHS to treat and look after COVID patients. The UK stepped in and created an innovative idea on how to resolve the low supply of PPE in a government briefing announcement. But right from the start, there was confusion. Today I can report... Uh, that a very large consignment of PPE is due to arrive in the UK uh, tomorrow from Turkey, which amounts to 84, uh, 84 tonnes of uh, PPE and will include, for example, 400,000 gowns. That promise proved hollow. The equipment didn't arrive the next day. We hope to see that coming into the country. Uh, hope to see that coming into the country tomorrow. Or the next, only getting here another two days after that. We're working to resolve the Turkish shipment of PPE as soon as possible, following some unexpected delays at the weekend. We can now reveal that only a fraction of the 400,000 gowns ministers said were on their way in planes from Turkey have ever arrived. In fact, of them, only 4,500, that's 1%, have passed quality control tests so they can be used in Britain's hospitals. NHS doctors and healthcare workers continue to struggle with the inadequate PPE supplies in COVID wards. Within our own country, within the UK, there were so many manufacturers who had the PPE that we required. They were sitting in their warehouses, but our government decided to order PPE from Burma, from Turkey. And when they came, they were also faulty. When we looked into the PPE the government had, they were out of date. They were expired. As a doctor walking into your work, opening a surgical mask box and seeing that the expiry date had a sticker replaced on top of it, how do you think that makes us feel? As a doctor, I was working during the pandemic until April. So January, February, March, April, these four months, not once did I get a mask fitting. I had nothing on that ward. It left me in a situation where I had to look at my own protection or the patient. And every single day, the guidelines were changing. One day we were told the full gown was okay. The next day we were told that a plastic apron is okay. A pinny was good enough to protect ourselves from a deadly virus. 
we knew that all of these changes in the guidelines were based on politics because they just didn't have the right amount of PPE, but nobody would ever use these words, we don't have enough. If I went into a patient who was COVID positive and he coughed in between the consultation, then what? There have been a lot of errors during the pandemic and it's cost human lives. And the first healthcare worker died. They died in a COVID ward. They, they were infected. And the only way they could have been infected was if they didn't have the right protection. In my husband's own hospital, a pregnant nurse died. This is one healthcare worker. To date, we have 620 healthcare workers who've died. Driving to work every day, I had a fear. I didn't know what I was exposing myself to or my unborn child to. And if something had happened, I would have never been able to forgive myself. Some of us who test positive for COVID-19 will experience mild symptoms. But don't underestimate COVID-19 as it is a deadly virus. And some patients fight for their lives, fight for their last breath. There's a misconception that coronavirus is a flu or a cold. It is not. I'm sure that this has almost killed me. I'm telling you now, you need your lungs. And please, none of you take any chances. I mean it. Because if it gets really bad... then you're going to end up here. By spring of 2020, up to 3,000 COVID-positive patients were admitted to hospital. It was a delight to see the UK public joined forces of kindness to show gratitude to the NHS. It was a joyful scene to see the UK public come out on their front door and clap for the NHS, even to see the small children get pots and pans and use their wooden spoons in celebration, honour and gratitude for the hard work of the NHS. But before long, our leader, the UK Prime Minister, tested positive for COVID-19 with a clear illustration that this deadly virus does not discriminate. The British capital, waking to day four of a nationwide lockdown and news that the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, has tested positive for the coronavirus. I've developed mild symptoms of the coronavirus, that's to say, a temperature and a a persistent cough. He wasn't alone. The health secretary was soon tweeting that he too had tested positive and the government's chief medical advisor is also now showing symptoms. That left it up to another senior minister to answer questions about a government potentially not practicing what it preached. The virus does not discriminate. We are all at risk and that is why it is so important that we practice social distancing measures. Johnson appeared in Parliament on Wednesday. His diagnosis follows that of Prince Charles, last seen in public with the heir to the British throne on March 9th. Johnson delivered his last weekly briefing to the Queen by telephone, and Buckingham Palace has said she remains in good health.
The news comes as Britain is bracing itself for what it fears will be a sharp rise in the number of cases. During this infancy of lockdown and the UK following the rules that the government set out, there was growing concern, upset and frustration within the UK population as Dominic Cummins broke the lockdown rules and the UK were very unhappy. As a UK nation throughout March, there was adjustment and sacrifices within lockdown where we were not able to see friends, families and loved ones. And news circulated that Dominic Cummins broke the lockdown rules on the 27th of March, 2020. For our podcast listeners outside of the UK, for your information, Dominic Cummins is the number one powerful advisor to the UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. 77-year-old Barry Bowes lives across the road. He's been self-isolating for the last two months. I've adhered to all the rules that have been set down by the government and I've taken all the advice and haven't been able to see family that I wanted to see, haven't been able to go anywhere, I've had to self-isolate. And this chap disappears from London and drives all the way up here and thinks it is, is beyond reproach. Do you have concerns for your own safety? Well, <laughs> who knows what he's brought into the town with him and apparently his family have had the virus. Uh, and who knows who he's bumped into, where he's been, what he's touched, we don't know. Cummings was seen hastily leaving number 10. Later it was confirmed that, like his boss, he had coronavirus. The very same day, the Prime Minister appealed for people to follow the rules. Stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. Morning, Mr Cummings. But Mr Cummings didn't stay at his home in London, where he was filmed earlier this year. Instead, he travelled more than 250 miles to see his elderly parents in County Durham. The police there issued a statement tonight saying, our officers were made aware of reports that an individual had travelled from London to Durham and confirmed that the individual in question was present. Officers explained to the family the guidelines around self-isolation and reiterated the appropriate advice around essential travel. As the most powerful advisor in Number 10, it's a serious embarrassment for the Prime Minister. Labour say Mr Cummings does appear to have broken the lockdown. He was last seen in Downing Street on March the 27th. The government said he developed symptoms over the following weekend. But just two days later, Durham police confirmed he was present at his parents' home. And another witness says he was still there on the 5th of April. Sources in Number 10 say Mr Cummings believed he was justified leaving London as he needed help to look after his child while he was ill. But the acting leader of the Liberal Democrats says he should resign. Millions of people have made huge sacrifices to do their bit uh, to tackle coronavirus. They've had to watch um, funerals by via conference. They've had to cancel their weddings. I think they'd expect members of the Prime Minister's office to follow the guidelines. And if it's true that Dominic Cummings has deliberately breached the guidelines and he should know what they were, then I think it's a resigning matter. 
As the days and weeks followed the Dominique Cummins lockdown scandal, the British fury increasingly grew. Durham, a family who couldn't be with their father when he died from the virus, were not impressed by Dominic Cummings' explanation. We did not sit by our parents, our children, our aunties, our uncles. We did what we were told. Why couldn't you? Sorry, no excuse. The worst part for me is that it's the deceit. It's the fact that he's come out live, read from a script, stuttered through his answers and, and not what he's been given chance after chance to apologize for his actions and he hasn't all he's done is tried to cover up instead of saying sorry Morning. whatever details he offered today about his movements during the lockdown it failed to quell the criticism his account of a trip to barnard castle 30 miles from durham was challenged by one government advisor he said that he went to Barnard Castle as a test run to see if he was fit enough to drive back to London. How convinced were you by that explanation? Uh, that is breaking the rules. Uh, one is meant to stay at one's home. Uh, we don't know whether um, they still were shedding viruses or not. As far as I know, um, it's not part of the rules that one can drive in a community that's not one's home um, to see how well one is. It was not long until the next chapter of 2020 was the effects on the economy. The decision of lockdown to reduce the spread of COVID and protect the NHS had a huge effect on unemployment and also caused many industries to collapse, particularly hospitality as many of the high street stores were closed, such as Upper Cross announced 5,000 job losses. With an international travel ban in place to and from the UK, the airline industry also suffered with an announcement of 1,700 job losses by Airbus. Past two days alone, some 12,000 job losses have been announced, most of them in high street retail and aviation, two of the sectors hardest hit by the lockdown. Trade unions have accused ministers of sitting on the sidelines. But Boris Johnson says that while the risk to jobs is very, very serious, the Treasury has protected the livelihoods of 11 million people. Now, SSP, which owns the food chains Upper Crust and Café Ritazza, says it could cut 5,000 jobs because of the sharp fall in passenger numbers at railway stations and airports. The aerospace giant Airbus says it wants to cut 1,700 jobs in the UK as part of plans to close 15,000 posts globally. And the consultancy company Accenture has uh, announced this evening that it will be making up to 900 job cuts in the UK. And the retailer John Lewis said today that some of its stores would not be reopening. And Topshop, Harrods and the shirt maker TM Lewin also announced job losses. On the 20th of April 2020, the UK Treasury made an announcement that they will step in and help to pay the UK wages, to be named the furlough scheme, and over 140,000 UK companies applied for the grant. Today I can announce that for the first time in our history, the government is going to step in and help to pay people's wages. Government grants will cover 80% of the salary of retained workers 
up to a total of £2,500 a month. I know we were all going to get through this, and it's great to hear what the government are saying, that they're going to support us, which has actually taken a load off my shoulders because I thought, I could, you know, I could lose everything. You know, I could, 28 years of being in business. Predicted forecast and statistics indicate that unemployment will rise to 2.6 million in the UK and the hardest hit will be the young graduates and students. When it got to March, it was just like all the opportunities that I was looking at just vanished. It's difficult. I mean, I've applied for loads of jobs and not heard anything back from anyone. You have to just push on and really advise yourself that it's really not your fault. To protect the elderly, are we unfairly sacrificing the young? Hi, Nicola. Record numbers at this job centre in East London might suggest so. How's your job application going? It's a bit difficult. I haven't heard back from loads of jobs, to be fair. Whether Nicola, a frustrated law graduate with no leads at present, or Elias, furloughed then unemployed like so many under-25s in his sector. Have you given up hope of any job in hospitality for the moment? You've decided to look elsewhere? Yeah, for the moment in hospitality I give up because uh, I honestly know that I won't find anything. Oh, hello, am I speaking to Aaron? Increased anxiety, frustration, as well as workload. Have you ever known it worse for anyone in the 18 to 24 age bracket? Initially I think I had like over 100 on my caseload, so now I have about 600 and something on the caseload. Just you? Just, yeah. They finished college or they finished uni, but they haven't got no experience. And there's no way they can actually do any work experience because of all this like uh, social distancing. No employers are ready to like take them on. Before the pandemic, here in Barking and Dagenham, there were eight people unemployed for every vacancy. At the peak over the summer, that figure had risen to more than 50, one of the highest in the country. It remains so. And everyone who walks in through those doors will know that come the end of furlough later this month, the competition for jobs will just intensify. And with that cliff edge approaching, there's a mentoring workshop inside. Failure doesn't come in shapes and forms, it always have a plan B. Between them, these four speak of 1,000 applications. They tell you that they're not going to give you feedback before you even submit your application. And with no end in sight, as Leila told me afterwards. Are the days where you worry you will never find the job? Yeah, I mean, because it's been two years since I graduated now, I didn't think it would take this long to kind of secure a long-term contract. And I think what's difficult is there's so many people in the same position as me. I feel like we've been chucked in the deep end by nature. You know, it's something that we can't control. Although I, I guess it's, it's one of those ones where you have to just push on. Every month unemployed means a greater chance of low-skilled work permanently. In the end, the generation hit hardest, maybe one of its youngest. Then came the boom of working from home as employers had to change their way of working. Many employees were joyful of the thought of no longer commuting, no longer having to experience the rush hour. There was an increase in Zoom and video calling and video meetings than we had ever seen before. Networking events had to close due to the rule of social distancing and we were inundated in our inbox with invitations to attend Zoom virtual networking events. Many enjoyed, enjoyed the new innovative ways to network. 
However, some business owners felt very frustrated and pressured to participate in video Zoom networking as they were inundated with invitations. There was also a feeling of Zoom tiredness, the tiredness of frequent meetings and networkings day in, day out, adjusting to the new way of life of video calls and video meetings. I've got a better work-life balance. I'm not having to wait for delayed or cancelled Northern Rail trains. And I know that as soon as I get out of bed, I can log on to my laptop and not be late for work. So I've quite enjoyed working from home. I think there's a real sort of uh, mixed chat about people wanting to come back in, people wanting to work from home. I think there's a, there's a big market for coming into the office and for people coming to the office because I think people want to socialise. Although we put our best foot forward to embrace the new world of lockdown and social distancing, there were elements of anxiety as we missed the social touch, we missed the social hugs and the social interactions. Meeting up with a friend, loved one, colleague or business partner for a coffee, which seemed like a lifetime ago. As we embraced lockdown and the new life, there was a huge boom and increase in social video calls as communities came together to beat isolation. I've got a better work-life balance. I'm not having to wait for delayed or cancelled Northern Rail trains. And I know that as soon as I get out of bed, I can log on to my laptop and not be late for work. So I've quite enjoyed working from home. I think there's a real sort of uh, mixed chat about people wanting to come back in, people wanting to work from home. I think there's a, there's a big market for coming into the office and for people coming to the office because I think people want to socialise. The lockdown had a great effect on the fair distribution of high school and secondary school exam results, which would have a huge contribution to enter into university. Students around the UK headed to Parliament in protest that their exam results had been downgraded due to the UK's decision to use an algorithm to determine their exam results. And there was fury between the teachers and the UK politicians. Seven years. We worked with those students for seven years. We know them. We know them better than an algorithm does. And uh, we knew this was the right decision. Numbers are neutral, right? Well, wrong. And yet politicians in every corner of the kingdom, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and England, seem to think that they were. South Brahai is a school which the algorithm quite literally could not compute. A school which has been on a journey of improvement, expecting its best year ever in 2020. Yet 60% of their students were downgraded. To see them in the work of a moment upgraded in turn was emotional for staff. The damage between teachers and politicians could be permanent. Do you think most teachers have any confidence in Gavin Williamson? After what's happened in the last five days, I would find it incredibly um, strange if they did. So this is enormous on the personal level for the students. Um, you know, but the only reason that we fought so hard to ensure that we played our part in 
making the injustice known was for the students. Williamson himself claimed today that he'd sought off-qual assurances that there would be no severe inequality. As we rolled into the student semester month of September and October, students and freshers began to feel the effects of COVID as we entered a second wave in the UK. The experience of being a first-year student had vanished as reports started to surface around the UK as many students had to self-isolate in student accommodation together with online lecturing. As the UK entered the second wave of COVID, many students felt they were blamed for the rise of COVID cases. Because all, obviously all of us got symptoms as well and we all tested positive, but uh, it was quite reassuring to have everyone else with you as well. So we weren't alone, we weren't having to like, you know, be stuck in our own rooms. It's horrible because you can't even really like, you can't go outside at all. Um, and I've obviously had to tell my flatmates to isolate, which was after only knowing them for like a week. It wasn't like the greatest conversation. Young people felt they were being blamed for starting a second wave of the virus. Social distancing, self-isolation and a reduction of face-to-face -face lectures was having an impact. We've seen lots of students saying that they're spending all or most of their time within their university accommodation. On December the 8th, 2020, the UK woke up to breaking positive news named V-Day. This day, V-Day, will go down in UK history, global history, as the UK administered the first COVID-19 vaccine. The first person to receive the vaccine was a 90-year-old grandmother named Margaret Keenan. Journalists and news crews from around the world flocked to the UK hospital in anticipation to interview Margaret Keenan. I tell you what, if I was Margaret, I would really enjoy this moment of fame, which is also called the 15 minutes of fame. Because even up until this date, her name appears in Google as the first global patient to receive the vaccine. So hey, Margaret might even have her own reality show. Today has been dubbed V-Day in the UK as the first doses of the corona vaccine are being injected into patients. And I want to get right over across the pond to London, uh, where Julianne Salabam is uh, there with that story. Good morning. Good morning, Andrew. Well, it is indeed a historic day here in the United Kingdom. The country's mass national vaccination program has officially begun. And to put this into context, this comes less than a year after the first case of COVID-19 was diagnosed. The chief of a national health service for England called it a remarkable achievement. This morning, the first patient to receive the vaccine outside of those clinical trials was a 90-year-old British woman, Margaret Keenan. She was the first in line to receive one of two jabs. She will have to return 21 days from now to receive the second 
dose of the vaccine. She's also part of the first group of people who will be offered the vaccine, and that consists of those who are over 80 years old, frontline healthcare workers, and care home workers. And you'll remember the UK released their prioritization list last week, and right at the top, alongside healthcare workers, were long-term care residents. So far, the UK government hasn't quite worked out the logistics to offer the vaccinations directly in care homes. So for now, the vaccinations are being offered in hospitals around the country, including this hospital, Guy's Hospital in central London, where I am standing now. There are about 50 hospital hubs around the country that are uh, administering the vaccine this week. And there are 800,000 doses being made available. Next week is the next scheduled allotment. We don't have exact numbers yet. Part of that will be determined by how quickly Pfizer and BioNTech can manufacture the vaccine. But a huge day here in the United Kingdom as the mass vaccination program begins rolling out. Andrew? Juliana, just what is the sentiment in the UK about the vaccines? And what I mean by that is there's a number of polls here in the United States that show that a large part of the country doesn't, doesn't intend to take the vaccine or is anxious about taking the vaccine. Is it similar there? It is similar here. There is a significant portion of the British population that is nervous about the vaccine. But the way it's been described to us, speaking to uh, medical experts and public health experts, it's really two different groups of people. One are vaccine hesitant. They're just nervous about the newness of this vaccine. Then there's another group that is a core anti-vaccine group. But it is believed that the larger portion falls into the former category. And the expectation is that as more people receive the vaccination and it and are, it is shown to be safe just by example, more people will be encouraged to take it. The message that UK leadership is driving home to the UK public is that uh, the vaccination is only going to be as effective as people are willing to take it. So really encouraging uptake. And so we'll see over the coming weeks how many of those who are offered the vaccine actually take the opportunity to get it. So let's meet Margaret Keenan and find out how she feels receiving the first COVID vaccine. I, it hasn't sunk in yet. I, I can't really answer that question yet. It's just really, I, I, I don't know what to say. It's just, well, I mean, it's the first, really. Yeah. I would say go for it. Go for it because it's, it's free and it's the best thing that's ever happened uh, at the moment. So. Do, please go for it. That's all I say, you know. If I can do it, well, so can you. Absolutely brilliant. And what can she say? She, she's a remarkable lady. She's 91 next week, I think. Mm. She retired as a, a jeweler shop assistant four years ago. She was 87 and still working. She's from Enniskillen originally, I think, in Northern Ireland. You'll hear later in the podcast that the UK made another mark in history, launching a second vaccine that was produced by Oxford University. But before the second vaccine was announced, the UK had to deal with the devastating news announced by the Prime Minister that Christmas was unfortunately cancelled due to a new COVID variant that was found in the UK. And with that, it was announced by the Prime Minister that London, the UK's capital, 
would immediately enter a lockdown. And the government organised an urgent briefing, which was a few days before Christmas Day, to inform the UK that he had to invent a new name for the lockdown, which we learnt to be called Tier 4. And within hours, this became global news. Kate, the situation here is so dire, the government had to invent a fourth level of alarm above the three-tier warning system that they already had in place. There is disturbing news tonight about another much more contagious strain of COVID circulating overseas. It is so alarming, the UK is asking people to cancel Christmas plans. Matt Bradley reports from London. We cannot continue with Christmas. Tonight, Britain's Boris Johnson becomes the prime minister who stole Christmas. We're sacrificing the chance to see our loved ones this Christmas so we have a better chance of protecting their lives. Clamping back coronavirus restrictions on Southeast England, including London over the holidays. Closing non-essential businesses and restricting meetings to one other person and only outdoors. All because of a troubling new viral strain expanding fast through England. Government scientists say the new strain could be as much as 70% more contagious and already accounts for 60% of infections. Suggests that infections would soar, hospitals would become overwhelmed, and many thousands more would lose their lives. But the new variant is no more deadly than the original, and there's no evidence that it's resistant to vaccines yet. My concern is potentially that this means the virus is kind of on pathway to becoming uh, resistant to vaccines. So whilst it not be, may not be actually resistant, it may not take so many changes after this to kind of get there. It's not just Britain. Italy's prime minister today announced a new lockdown over Christmas and New Year's after a surge in infections from the original virus. Still, epidemiologists say the new strain should cause other countries to take notice. Is this something that Americans should be worried about? Uh, yes, I think everybody should be worried about this. Uh, this is going to happen again. People need to step up their surveillance. You know, As we enjoyed Boxing Day in the UK, which is a national holiday, the day after Christmas Day, we woke up to the news that the new COVID variant that was more contagious originally started in London, had travelled overseas and there were now confirmed cases in France, Spain and Sweden. This is BBC News. I'm Lucrasa Burak. These are the latest headlines in the UK and around the world. As the UK grapples with the new strain of coronavirus, there are now confirmed cases in more countries, including France, Spain and Sweden. Our top story today, Australia has confirmed its first case of the South African variant of COVID-19 after a woman who arrived in Queensland last week tested positive while in hotel quarantine. Meanwhile, other countries around the world are also reporting cases of the UK variant. Our Isinde has our top story. According to Queensland's Minister for Health and Ambulance Services, Yvette Death on Tuesday, a woman who had traveled overseas and arrived in the state last week tested positive for the new South African variant while in hotel quarantine. While the UK variant has already been reported in the country, this marks Australia's first confirmed case of the South African variant. The patient is currently being treated in hospital. Meanwhile, more countries are reporting the UK variant in patients. This includes India, 
where six individuals who returned from the UK have been confirmed to have the new, more transmissible strain. Health officials there have started contact tracing close contacts and family members of the six patients to try and make sure there's no further spread. The UAE on Tuesday also reported its first cases of the UK variant. However, the UAE government did not specify where the patients had traveled from or the number of cases. In Germany, local reports say the UK variant seems to have been present in the country since November as doctors detected it retrospectively in samples of an older patient who died later. Germany reported its first known case last week from a patient who flew to Frankfurt from Britain. The biggest question on everybody's lips, with the historic congratulations of the vaccine, would this protect us from the new COVID variant? The World Health organization carried out a press conference to confirm their findings. Yeah, we, we are aware of this uh, genetic variant, I think reported in about a thousand individuals in England and the authorities in the UK and uh, under uh, Matt Hancock's leadership obviously are looking at the significance of this. We've seen many variants, uh, as we've always said here, this virus evolves uh, and changes over time and we've seen uh, different variants emerge. The question is, what is their significance in public health terms? Uh, and uh, certainly uh, looking at this particular variant uh, seems to have become more prevalent in the UK. We'll obviously need to work with our international lab network to see if that variant is becoming more prevalent on an international basis. But again, to say that this kind of evolution or mutations like this are actually quite common. Um, the question, as we've had most recently with the mink variants in Denmark and the uh, the previous uh, variations in the virus. Does this make the virus uh, more serious? Does it allow the virus to transmit uh, more easily? Does it in any way interfere with diagnostics? Would it in any way interfere with vaccine effectiveness? These are questions. None of these questions have been addressed yet, and we have no information to suggest that any of that uh, is the case. Uh, and that is why each and every time we see a significant variant, we have to take the time to assess its significance. I'm sure the UK authorities are doing the responsible thing as they are in really looking at this, in informing and putting this up on public websites. I think, like you said, they've already uploaded the sequences for everybody else to look at. It is the height of transparency. Uh, it is state of the art in the way people, in the way in which national authorities communicate with other national authorities and with WHO. It shows absolute transparency and we have every confidence in the UK scientific capacity to understand this variant and to work with us and uh, experts around the world. As New Year's Eve rolled on and we anxiously awaited to say goodbye to 2020, here in the UK we achieved another historic medical second achievement with the announcement of a second vaccine which in fact had the green light to be transported to hospitals where vaccinations can begin immediately. This is indeed a remarkable achievement for UK science, with the facts reported that the first positive COVID recording was less than a year.
this is a really significant moment in the fight against this pandemic because the vaccine is the way out and the approval of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine it, it, it brings forward the date at which we're going to bring this pandemic to an end. And so it's good news for everybody, everybody watching uh, and the whole country. This is a real British success story. And so it is, this is really good news this morning uh, that the vaccine's not just been approved, uh, but also that they find that the immunity to the disease comes after around a, a fortnight after the first dose, which means that we can really accelerate the number of people who, who get protected. That was the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, speaking to us a little earlier on BBC Breakfast. We're joined now by the BBC's medical editor, Fergus Walsh. Fergus, good morning to you and thank you for, for joining us again. Just explain for people, I mean, obviously we've had a vaccine already with the Pfizer-BioNTech one, but why this one specifically is so important? It's important because unlike the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, this one can be stored in your fridge, my fridge, it can be transported at fridge temperature, whereas the Pfizer jab has to be very carefully handled uh, and transported at minus 70. So that immediately takes away the problems about getting it into to village surgeries, into care homes. And globally, it's important too, because um, AstraZeneca is planning to produce 3 billion doses of this vaccine in 2021 and it'll be play a really important role in trying to bring the global pandemic to an end. And can you just explain Fergus what we understand now about the rollout, who'll get it, when etc? So a very very interesting shift in strategy here on both the Oxford and the Pfizer jabs that initially the Pfizer jab there was a three-week interval between dosing and the Oxford trials it was a four-week interval between dosing but now the government is saying that the NHS will provide both these vaccines with up to a 12-week interval between first and second dosing and that's an important shift because it means that millions potentially tens of millions of more people will be protected. So as we welcome in a brand new year, 2021, with the hopes and prayers that this year can be different, this year can be better. But the biggest whisper and the biggest anxious question that we say goodbye to 2020 and enter 2021. And the question that we ask ourselves, will we take the vaccine? When we are contacted by our doctors, physician or GP to make an appointment to receive the vaccine, will you say yes or will you say no? To conclude, the adventures we have had for 2020 in the UK capital, London parents received the news that all primary schools would be closed. It's not just confirmed by uh, Sadiq Khan either. I can confirm that it's uh, Whitehall sources are uh, confirming it. Uh, we have listened to the councils. 
uh, said one source a short time ago. Um, they're saying, the government's uh, explanation for this is they're seeing it very much as a public health issue. Uh, they're saying it's not just a stroke of a pen uh, by Gavin Williamson that the Department of Health were involved. What has happened is that there was a, a real protest from many uh, London uh, boroughs, mostly Labour, uh, against the decision to uh, force uh, some schools to in London to stay open while cl closing others. Now, uh, the position was that some schools where there were high infection rates uh, were seeing their schools uh, stay open, but where uh, some boroughs where there were low infection rates were being forced to close. There was threats of legal action against the government. Guys, I hope you enjoyed my commentary on a roundup of the year of 2020. The year to forget, the year we wish to say goodbye to. I'd like to say I really enjoyed putting everything together and spending weeks researching. In the podcast description box, I will list some of my sources which I use to research this podcast. And guys, if you enjoyed this form of podcast commentary, let me know. Please reach out to me and get in touch by writing a comment or you can send me an email to podcast at turncoffeeintoclients.com because this isn't something I do very often but I thought it would be a great way to inspire you and motivate you for 2020 as well for my other international podcast listeners so they can get an understanding of what happened in the UK. I highly recommend for you to follow the Bella Networking Podcast as I will be launching an international COVID series where I take you from Senegal, Spain, Guatemala and Turkey, where I'll share some really exciting stories and interviews with professionals who share their experience of lockdown in another country. Thank you for listening to the pre-season two episode of Bella Networking Podcast, proudly sponsored by rareworldremovals.co.uk for all your new year removal needs whether you're moving home a single room the professional drivers with 13 years experience will be able to help you with any of your moving home needs with a competitive hourly wage